0: chapter 3 of the romance of modern invention this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org the romance of modern invention by archibald williams chapter 3 the telephone A common enough sight in any large town is a great sheaf of fine wires running across the streets and over the houses if you trace the career in any one direction you would find that they suddenly terminate or rather combine into cables and disappear into the recesses of a house which is the telephone exchange if you track them the other way your experience would be varied enough some wires would lead you into public institutions some into offices some into snug rooms in private houses at one time your journey would end in the town at another you would find yourself roaming far into the country through green fields and leafy lanes until at last you ran the wire to earth in some large mansion standing in a lordly park perhaps you might have to travel hundreds of miles having struck a trunk line connecting two important cities or you might even be called upon to turn fish and plunge beneath the sea for a while groping your way along a submarine cable in addition to the visible overhead wires that traverse a town there are many led underground through special conduits and many telephone wires never come out of the doors at all their object being to furnish communication between the rooms of the same house The telephone and its friend, the electric bell, are now a regular part of the equipment of any large premises. The master of the house goes to his telephone when he wishes to address the cook or the steward or the head gardener or the coachman. It saves time and labor. Should he desire to speak to his town offices, he will, unless connected direct, ring up the exchange into which, as we have seen, flow all the wires of the subscribers to the telephone system of that district. The ringing up is usually done by rapidly turning a handle which works an electric magnet and rings a bell in the exchange. The operator there, generally a girl, demands the number of the person with whom the ringer wants to speak, rings up that number, and connects the wires of the two parties. In some exchanges, example given, the new post office telephone exchanges the place of electric bells is taken by lamps to the great advantage of the operators whose ears are thus freed from perpetual jangling the action of unhooking the telephone receiver at the subscriber's end sends a current into a relay which closes the circuit of an electric lamp opposite the subscriber's number in the exchange similarly when the conversation is completed the action of hanging up the receiver again lights another lamp of a different color giving the exchange warning that the wires are free again in america the country of automatic appliances the operator is sometimes entirely dispensed with a subscriber is able by means of a mechanical contrivance to put himself in communication with any other subscriber unless that subscriber is engaged in which case a dial records the fact. The popularity of the telephone may be judged from the fact that in 1901 the National Telephone Company system transmitted over 807 millions of messages, as compared with 89 millions of telegrams sent out over the post office wires. In America and Germany, however, the telephone is even more universally employed than in England. In the thinly populated prairies of West America, the farmhouses are often connected with a central station many miles off from which they receive news of the outer world and are able to keep in touch with one another. We are not, perhaps, as a nation sufficiently alive to the advantages of an efficient telephone system, and on this account many districts remain telephoneless because sufficient subscribers cannot be found to guarantee use of a system if established. It has been seriously urged that much of our country depopulation might be counteracted by a universal telephone service, which would enable people to live at a distance from the towns and yet be in close contact with them. At present, for the sake of convenience and ease of getting at clients and customers, many businessmen prefer to have their homes just outside the towns where their business is a cheap and efficient service open to every one would do away with a great deal of traveling that is necessary under existing circumstances and by making it less important to live near a town allow people to return to the country even norway has a good telephone system the telegraph is little used in the more thinly inhabited districts but the telephone may be found in most unexpected places in little villages hidden in the recesses of the fjords switzerland another mountainous country but very go-ahead in all electrical matters is noted for the cheapness of its telephone services at Bern or geneva a subscriber pays four pounds the first year two pounds twelve shillings the second year and but one pound twelve shillings the third contrast these charges with those of new york where fifteen pounds ten shillings to forty nine pounds ten shillings is levied annually according to service the telephone as a public benefactor is seen at its best at budapest the twin capital of hungary in eighteen ninety three one er theodor burskacz founded in that city a newspaper if so it may be called worked entirely on the telephone the publishing office was a telephone exchange the wires and instruments took the place of printed matter the subscribers were to be informed entirely by ear of the news of the day the telephone armando or telephonic news teller as the paper was named has more than six thousand subscribers who enjoy their telephones for the very small payment of eighteen florins or about a penny a day for twelve hours a day news is collected at the central office in the usual journalistic way by telephone telegraph and reporters it is printed by lithography on strips of paper six inches wide and two feet long these strips are handed to stentors or men with powerful and trained voices who read the contents to transmitting instruments in the offices whence it flies in all directions to the ears of the subscribers these last know exactly when to listen and what description of information they will hear for each has over his receiver a programme which is rigidly adhered to it must be explained at once that the telephone armando is more than a mere newspaper for it adds to its practical use as a first-class journal that of entertainer lecturer preacher actor political speaker musician the telephone offices are connected by wire with the theatres churches and public halls drawing from them by means of special receivers the sounds that are going on there and transmitting them again over the wires to the thousands of subscribers the budapestian has therefore only to consult his programme to see when he will be in touch with his favourite actor or preacher the ladies know just when to expect the latest hints about the fashions of the day nor are the children forgotten for a special period is set aside weekly for their entertainment in the shape of lectures or concerts the advertising fiend too must have his say though he pays dearly for it on payment of a florin the stenters will shout the virtues of his wares for a space of twelve seconds the advertising periods are sandwiched in between items of news so that the subscriber is bound to hear the advertisements unless he is willing to risk missing some of the news if he hangs up his receiver until the puff is finished thanks to the telephone hormando, the preacher actor or singer is obliged to calculate his popularity less by the condition of the seats in front of him than by the number of telephones in use while he is performing his part On the other hand the subscriber is spared a vast amount of walking waiting cab hire and expense generally in fact if the principle is much further developed we shall begin to doubt whether a budapestian will be able to discover reasons for getting out of bed at all if the receiver hanging within reach of his hand is the entrance to so many places of delight will he become a very lazy person And what will be the effect on his entertainers when they find themselves facing benches that are used less every day will the sight of a row of telephone trumpets rouse the future Lydon, patty irving or gladstone to excel themselves it seems rather doubtful telephones cannot look interested or applaud what is inside the simple looking receiver that hangs on the wall beside a small mahogany case or rests horizontally on a couple of crooks over the case in the older type of instrument the transmitter and receiver are separate the former fixed in front of the case the latter of course movable so that it can be applied to the ear but improved patterns have transmitter and receiver in a single movable handle so shaped that the earpiece is by the ear while the mouthpiece curves round opposite the mouth by pressing a small lever with the fingers the one or the other is brought into action when required the construction of the instrument of which we are at first a little afraid and with which we later to learn to become the rather angry is in its general line simple enough the first practical telephone constructed in eighteen seventy six by graham bell a scotchman consisted of a long wooden or ebonite handle down the centre of which ran a permanent bar magnet having at one end a small coil of fine insulated wire wound about it The ends of the wire coil are led through the handles to two terminals for connection with the line wires. At a very short distance from the wire-wound pole of the magnet is firmly fixed by its edges a thin circular iron plate covered by a funnel-shaped mouthpiece. The iron plate is, when at rest, concave, its center being attracted towards the pole of the magnet. When anyone speaks into the mouthpiece, the sound waves agitate the diaphragm or plate causing its center to move inwards and outwards the movements of the diaphragm affect the magnetism of the magnet sometimes strengthening it sometimes weakening it and consequently exciting electric currents of varying strength in the wire coil these currents passing through the line wires to a similar telephone excite the coil in it and in turn affect the magnetism of the distant magnet which attracts or releases the diaphragm near its pole causing undulations of the air exactly resembling those set up by the speaker's words to render the telephone powerful enough to make conversion possible over long distances it was found advisable to substitute for the one telephone a special transmitter and to insert in the circuit a battery giving a much stronger current than could possibly be excited by the magnet in the telephone at the speaker's end edison in eighteen seventy seven invented a special transmitter made of carbon he discovered that the harder two faces of carbon are pressed together the more readily will they allow current to pass the reason probably being that the points of contact increase in number and afford more bridges for the current accordingly his transmitter contains a small disk of lamp black, a form of carbon connected to the diaphragm and another carbon or platinum disk against which the first is driven with varying force by the vibrations of the voice The Edison transmitter is therefore, in idea only, a modification of the microphone. It acts as a regulator of current, in distinction to the bell telephone, which is only an exciter of current. Modern forms of telephones unite the Edison transmitter with the bell receiver. The latter is extremely sensitive to electric currents, detecting them even when of the minutest power. We have seen that Marconi used a telephone in his famous transatlantic experiments to distinguish the signals sent from Cornwall. A telephone may be used with an earth return instead of a second wire, but as this exposes it to stray currents by induction from other wires carried on the same poles or from the earth itself, it is now usual to use two wires, completing the metallic circuit even so a subscriber is liable to overhear conversations on wires neighboring his own the writer has lively recollections of first receiving news of the relief of ladysmith in this manner owing to the self-induction of wires in submarine cables and the consequent difficulty of forcing currents through them the telephone is at present not used in connection with submarine lines of more than a very moderate length england has however been connected with france by a telephone cable from st margaret's bay to singat twenty three miles and scotland with ireland Stranraer to dungadie twenty six miles the former cable enables speech between london and marseilles a distance of nine hundred miles and the latter makes it possible to speak from london to dublin via glasgow the longest wreck line in existence is that between new york and chicago the complete circuit of which uses nineteen hundred miles of stout copper wire raised above the ground on poles thirty-five feet high the efficiency of the telephone on a well-laid system is so great that it makes very little difference whether the persons talking with one another are fifty or five hundred miles apart there is no reason why a cape to cairo telephone should not put the two extremities of africa in clear vocal communication we may even live to see the day when a london business man will be able to talk with his agent in sydney melbourne or wellington a step towards this last achievement has been taken by m germain a french electrician who has patented a telephone which can be used with stronger currents than are possible in ordinary telephones thereby of course increasing the range of speech on submarine cables the telephone that we generally use has a transmitter which permits but a small portion of the battery power to pass into the wires owing to the resistance of the carbon diaphragm the weakness of the current is to a great extent compensated by the exceedingly delicate nature of the receiver m germain has reversed the conditions with a transmitter that allows a very high percentage of the current to flow into the wires and a comparatively insensitive receiver the result is a loud-speaking telephone not a novelty for edison invented one as long ago as eighteen seventy seven which is capable of reproducing speech in a wonderfully powerful fashion M. Germain, with the help of special tubular receivers, has actually sent messages through a line having the same resistance as that of the London-Paris line, so audibly that the words could be heard fifteen yards from the receiver in the open air. Wireless Telephony In days when wireless telegraphy is occupying such a great deal of the world's attention, it is not likely to cause much astonishment in the reader to learn that wireless transmission of speech over considerable distances is an accomplished fact. We have already mentioned, see wireless telegraphy, that by means of parallel systems of wires Sir William Preece bridged a large air-gap and induced in the one sounds imparted to the other. Since then two other methods have been introduced, and as a preface to the mention of the first we may say a few words about Graham Bell's photophone. In this instrument light is made to do the work of a metal connection between speaker and listener. Professor Bell, in arranging the photophone, used a mouthpiece as in his electric telephone, but instead of a diaphragm working in front of a magnet to set up electric impulses along a wire, he employed a mirror of very thin glass, silvered on one side. The effect of sound on this mirror was to cause rapid alterations of its shape from concave to convex, and consequent variations of its reflecting power a strong beam of light was concentrated on the centre of the mirror through a lens and reflected by the mirror at an angle through another lens in the direction of the receiving instrument the receiver consisted of a parabolic reflector to catch the rays and focus them on a selenium cell connected by an electric circuit with an ordinary telephone earpiece on delivering a message into the mouthpiece the speaker would by agitating the mirror send a succession of light waves of varying intensity towards the distant selenium cell selenium has the peculiar property of offering less resistance to electrical currents when light is thrown upon it than when it is in darkness and the more intense is the light the less is the obstruction it affords The light waves from the mirror, therefore, constantly alter its capacity as a conductor, allowing currents to pass through the telephone with varying power. In this way Professor Bell bridged 800 yards of space, over which he sent, besides articulate words, musical notes, using for the latter purpose a revolving perforated disk to interrupt a constant beam of light a certain number of times per second as the speed of the disc increased the rate of the light flashes increased also and produced in the selenium cell the same number of passages to the electric current converted into a musical note by the receiver so that by means of mechanical apparatus a playful sunbeam could literally be compelled to play a tune from the photophone we pass to another method of sound transmissions by light with which is connected the name of mr hammond v hayes of boston massachusetts It is embodied in the radiophone or the ray-speaker, for it makes strong rays of light carry the human voice. Luminous bodies give off heat. As the light increases, so as a general rule does the heat also. At present we are unable to create strong light without having recourse to heat to help us, since we do not know how to cause other vibrations of sufficient rapidity to yield the sensation of light but we can produce heat directly and heat will set atoms in motion and the ether too giving us light but taking as reward a great deal of the energy exerted now the electric arc of a searchlight produces a large amount of light and heat the light is felt by the eye at a distance of many miles but the body is not sensitive enough to be aware of the heat emanating from the same source mr hayes has however found the heat accompanying a searchlight being quite sufficient to affect a mechanical nerve in a far-away telephone receiver the transmitting apparatus is a searchlight through the back of which run four pairs of wires connected with a telephone mouthpiece after passing through a switch and resistance box or a regulator the receiver is a concave mirror in the focus of which is a tapering glass bulb half filled with carbonized filament very sensitive to heat The tapering end of the bulb projects through the back of the mirror into an ear-tube. If a message is to be transmitted, the would-be speaker turns his searchlight in the direction of the person with whom he wishes to converse, and makes the proper signals. On seeing them, the other presents his mirror to the beam and listens. The speaker's voice takes control of the searchlight beam. The louder the sound, the more brilliantly glows the electric arc. The stronger becomes the beam, the greater is the amount of heat passed on to the mirror and gathered on the sensitive bulb. The filament inside expands. The tapering point communicates the fact to the earpiece. This operation being repeated many times a second the earpiece fills with sound, in which all the modulations of the far-distant voice are easily distinguishable. Two sets of the apparatus above described are necessary for a conversation the functions of the searchlight and the bulb not being reversible but inasmuch as all large steamers carry searchlights the necessary installation may be completed at a small expense mr hayes's invention promises to be a rival to wireless telegraphy over comparatively short distances it can be relied upon in all weathers and is a fast method of communication like the photophone it illustrates the interrelationship of the phenomena of sound light and heat and the readiness with which they may be combined to attain an end next we turn from air to earth and to the consideration of the work of mr a f collins of philadelphia this electrician merely makes use of the currents flowing in all directions through the earth and those excited by an electric battery connected with earth The outfit requisite for sending wireless spoken messages consists of a couple of convenient stands, as many storage batteries, sets of coils, and receiving and transmitting instruments. The action of the transmitter is to send from the battery a series of currents through the coils which transmit them, greatly intensified, to the earth by means of a wire connected with a buried wire screen. The electric disturbances set up in the earth travel in all directions and strike a similar screen buried beneath the receiving instruments, where the currents affect the delicate diaphragm of the telephone earpiece. The system is, in fact, upon all fours with Mr. Marconi's, the distinguishing feature being that the ether of the atmosphere is used in the latter case, that of the earth in the former the intensity coils are common to both the buried screens are the counterpart of the aerial kites or balloons the telephone transmitter corresponds to the telegraphic transmitting key the earpiece to the coherer and relay no doubt in time mr collins will tune his instruments so obtaining below ground the same sympathetic electric vibrations which mr marconi professor lodge or others have employed to clothe their aerial messages in secrecy End of chapter 3